Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So Psalm 88 is where we're going to be tonight as we just continue making our way through the scriptures. And Psalm 88, man, it's a bit of a bummer, to be completely honest with you. Psalm 88 is known as the most sorrowful psalm in the book of Psalms. Uh, It really is kind of depressing. It's very gloomy. I call it the Eeyore psalm, just because it's nothing but uh, just the blues and bummer. There's no high point. There's no turnaround. There's no aha moment. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a desperate cry for help from a desperate soul. Uh, But honestly, sometimes that's where we're at in life. Sometimes we are just in a funk. Sometimes we're going through difficulty, and we can't seem to shake just uh, the grief and the blues and uh, the the sour attitude. Uh, Sometimes we can't see the good. Sometimes we just don't understand. Uh, Sometimes our faith is weak. But what this psalm shows us, really, is it's good for us to remember that God is still good, even in the midst of our funk, even when we can't shake it. It doesn't change the outcome. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change God's sovereignty at all. He's still on the throne. He's still God. He's still good. He still has thoughts to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a future and a hope. And no bad day of mine, no bad day of yours can alter that reality. And so Psalm 88 really is, as we read through it, there is really just no high point. It's just bummer upon bummer upon bummer. So buckle up. Let's go. Uh, Verse 1. Actually, we'll we'll read the the intro uh, first. It says, A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. To the chief musician set to Mahalath, Leonoth, a contemplation of Heman, the Ezrite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear my cry. So Psalm 88 is a psalm of He-Man, not the the master of the universe, He-Man. right? And and poor He-Man, like the original He-Man, the one who wrote the psalm. How many pastors throughout the ages, well, at least I guess it hasn't been throughout the ages. It's just been since the 80s who have made the joke about the master of the universe by the power of grace school. This, this He-Man is not operating by the power of grace school, but by the power uh, of God. This He-Man, uh, not the 80s cartoon, he was the son of Korah. Uh, and we've talked about the sons of Korah and their history. Boy, they have such an amazing story. The redemption. They, they rebelled against the Lord, and uh, it was really... Uh, you know, the sons of Korah who led a rebellion against Moses. And by leading a rebellion against Moses, they were leading a rebellion against the Lord. But the Lord spared them. They went from rebel to uh, really servants in the house of the Lord. And that's what the Lord does in our lives, really. He takes us from being enemies to from being rebellious to being servants to being used. And, and boy, I won't get into it because I have, but they have a, a beautiful story. Um, it's a story of redemption. The story of forgiveness. But He-Man, he was the grandson of Samuel, the last judge uh, there uh, in the book of Samuel. 
and he was a worship leader in David's era. And he writes the psalm, and he begins by saying, Oh, God of my salvation. Now, I like that. That really is the bright spot of this psalm, is that at least he knew where to turn. At least he understood that salvation is of the Lord, that the Lord is the one who does the saving. And you know what? We can make that same declaration tonight. We can say, Oh, God of our salvation. The Lord is the one who rescued you and me. He's the one who rescued us. Uh, the Lord is the one who redeems us and saves us from ourselves and our sin and destruction. In fact, that's what Jesus means. Jesus means uh, God is salvation. Right? We think Jesus, like the Jesus. But in Jesus' day, there were a ton of Jesuses. It was like the most common name in his day. It was Joshua. But God is salvation is the meaning. And Jesus, the Christ, lived up to that. And so the psalmist begins by saying, oh God of my salvation. And that's something that we can uh, declare also. But in these first few verses, the psalmist uh, really says, you know, I've cried out to the Lord day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline uh, your ear to my cry. Now we've talked about this. We talked about it last week, the power of prayer and how amazing it is that the Lord would hear my prayer, that he hears my cry. But what's being uh, implied here in this psalm is that God is not hearing his cry. As we read on, that will make more sense. But the implication here is not, wow, how amazing that God hears my prayer. The implication is here, Lord, why aren't you hearing my prayer? What's going on? And like we talked about last week, man, the Lord does hear our prayer. He hears them. Uh, you know, we can go to him anytime for any reason. Uh, we can say anything. Uh, we can go before the Lord completely unfiltered and just pour out our heart. And we don't have to worry about being mis misunderstood because he knows our heart. Uh, we talked last week how Jesus taught us to pray. It was so important that the Lord longs for us to really spend time with him in that way. And that we are to do it all the time. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so, man, we can go to the Lord anytime. We can pour out our hearts. And as we talked about last week, boy, he does hear us. So what is the psalmist talking about here? Why is the Lord not hearing his prayer? Well, sometimes... We get ourselves into the situation where, where there's things that hinder our prayer life. There are things that we can be involved in as Christians that really do uh, hinder uh, our walk with the Lord, including our prayer life. Unforgiveness. When we harbor unforgiveness in our lives. The Lord is serious about being forgiven. We're to forgive others because God has forgiven us. Not based upon their own merit or whether they deserve it, but because God has forgiven us. We're to walk in forgiveness. And when we don't, there's that block. When we walk in willful disobedience, when we harbor sin, when there's things that we're just living our lives, when we're about these things that we know are contrary to the Lord. Well, Lord, I'm just going to live my life my own way. And then we wonder why it's radio silence from God. Because we're walking in rebellion. That can really hinder our prayer life. Uh, we've talked about this one in the past. Husbands, if you mistreat your wives, the Bible's clear about it. If you mistreat your wives the Lord doesn't hear your prayer. If you've been a grump, if you've been short, if you, and, and you know, I, like I, I say, I confess, it's happened to me before. I'll study and then I get short with my wife. I'm like, oh man, I know that this is gonna put this block between me and the Lord. I, I need to just take my lumps and I need to apologize. And, and so I 
my wife is so gracious and she always forgives me. But I tell you what, it is a real thing. The Lord says, hey, listen, husbands, if you mistreat your wives, there's going to be, uh, it's going to hinder um, your, your prayer life. But there is a prayer that the Lord always hears. The Lord always hears uh, the honest prayer of a repentant sinner. There's no roadblock for that one. Anytime we go to God and say, Lord, would you please forgive me? Anytime we're broken over our sin, man, we can be assured that the Lord hears that cry. And so the psalmist says, Lord, would you hear my cry? Insinuating, again, that God isn't hearing his cry. Now, we don't know if there's any purposeful sin in his life that is, you know, uh, you know hindering his prayer life with the Lord. Uh, we don't really know that, that God didn't hear him. Uh, really? Uh, just because our prayers aren't being answered in the way that we think they should be answered doesn't mean that, A, God doesn't hear it. It doesn't mean that God didn't answer it. How many of you guys know that no is an answer? I tell my kids no all the time. Sometimes I tell them no before they even finish their sentence. Dad, can I? Nope. It's, it's just fun. I just get to tell them no. Our Heavenly Father is much nicer than I am as an earthly father. But sometimes the Lord tells us no. Why? I thought he was a good God who gave good gifts. He is. And that's why he says no. Because sometimes some of the things that I'm asking for aren't good for me. I've shared many stories with you guys how grateful I am in my walk with the Lord for the no's that he has sent my way. No, not this pointy one on my face. The ones where he says, no, I'm not going to let you have that, son. As parents, how often have our children come to us, especially when they're young, and they're just adamant about how badly they want something or how badly they need something that we know is not good for them. Now, what kind of parents would we be if we knowingly gave our children things that were going to harm them? We would be bad parents. But the Lord isn't a bad parent. And so sometimes, oftentimes, he tells us no. But be encouraged tonight. Because although it might frustrate you, although you might not understand, Man, sometimes the no's are the best answers the Lord can give us. And I know you know this to be true just like I do. So we can rejoice uh, in that reality. Um, verse 3. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain, who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. I told you, this is a sad, sorrowful psalm. And he is going through it. It would appear it couldn't get much worse for this poor guy. I mean, there's nothing but trouble all around. He's close to death. He has no strength. He's adrift with the dead. Just that phrase, I'm adrift with the dead. It really paints a picture. But then he says, Lord, you remember me no more. You say, well, wait a second now. Is that entirely true? I mean, he may feel that way from his perspective, but has the Lord really forgotten about uh, He-Man? Uh, and I would say absolutely not. Sometimes when we're in the midst of our struggles, we can feel like we're just lost in a sea of faces. We say, oh, man, Lord, do you even know who I am? Am I just another blip on the radar or another person amongst the billions just pouring out my heart to you in need. But here's the thing about the Lord. He knows you personally. He knows you individually. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows everything about you personally. The Lord never forgets about us. 
There's never a time when he's like, oh, man, I, I forgot. Jesus' parents forgot him. Remember at the temple? They're like, they're heading home. You got Jesus? No, I thought you had Jesus. No, I thought you had. Where's Jesus? Sometimes, I mean, I've been in situations on vacation where people have forgotten their children. I have forgotten my child at the soccer field. You get that call from the coach. Hey, did you forget something? No. <laughs> uh, yes, you did. Oh, I thought my wife, right? The Lord never forgets us. Ever. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more in number than the sand. Isn't that crazy? The Lord thinks about you. His thoughts towards you and me are as numerous as the sands on the sea. And they're not bad thoughts, right? They're good thoughts to prosper you, uh, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. That is a pretty amazing thing. So as the psalmist here says, Lord, do you remember me no more? The Lord remembers us. He's not forsaken us either. Uh, as the psalmist feels forsaken and alone. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is always, always with us. Whether we sense it or whether we don't, his promise is his promise. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And I've used, uh, you know, the analogy of when I, I, I teach my kids how to ride their bike. When we teach our kids, maybe it's just me, I'm sure you guys can relate. But when I was teaching my kids how to ride their bike, you know, there's this process whereby you start out jogging down the road with them and you've got a hand on the handlebar and a hand on the seat and you're right there in their ear. It's going to be all right. I've got you. Dad's right here. But as time goes on, it becomes just a seat, an occasional handlebar. And a seat, an occasional handlebar. Pretty soon it's just the seat. Pretty soon it's just a shoulder. Pretty soon you're just jogging alongside of them. Pretty soon you're letting them get some distance. And the whole time my kids are like, Dad, don't leave me. Dad, don't leave me. Dad, I'm not going to leave you. I'm right here. If you, even when you're down the street and I'm going, yeah, you crash, I'm right there. I'll help you dust yourself off and get back to it. See, that's the Lord. See, sometimes we don't sense his presence. Ah, oh, we panic. Lord, where are you? He's right there. He's just teaching us to walk by faith. He's teaching us to stand uh, according to his promises. There's ups and downs uh, with that in our walk with the Lord. And I talk to people sometimes. It's one of the greatest discouragements can be in our Christian walk. Where's the Lord? I don't sense the Lord's presence in my life anymore. First of all, I would say, where are you? The Lord hasn't gone anywhere. Oftentimes, we are the ones who've walked away from the Lord and pursued other things. But even when we're walking with the Lord and we've not turned away and we're not involved in sin, there are seasons in our walk with the Lord where he causes us to just walk by faith and trust that he's there. That is the reality. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. That's where faith comes in. Faith is just trust in action. That's what it means, bestuo. It means to lay the weight of my life, to trust uh, that the Lord is there like he said he is. Trust means that I'm going to live my life according to what the word says and not according to how I feel, according to the truths of God and not according to the circumstances that I see. And we are called to walk not by sight, but by faith. And uh, sometimes it can be challenging. It really can, but don't let it trip you up because the Lord is near. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise that he's made to us. Uh, and it's important to remember because sometimes I feel like, man, I just don't have enough faith. Like, ah, oh, man, we're to walk with the Lord according to faith. But sometimes, if we're honest, we feel like our faith 
is wavering. But how much faith is enough faith? You ever think about that? How much faith is enough faith? Well, Jesus told us that if we have a mustard seed of faith, then we can move mountains. Tell those mountains to be cast into the sea. That's a big result for a tiny bit of faith. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that faith is a gift from God. The faith isn't something we drum up or muster up or hype up. It's something that the Lord has given us. The Bible tells us if we lack faith, and that, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the word of God. And it's interesting because as I've studied through the scriptures, you know, I think, you know, faith comes by hearing the word of God. That as we take in God's promises, our faith is increased. But that's not actually what the text says there in Romans 10. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I need a hearing aid to hear, I hear by my hearing. What are we hearing by? Are we hearing the circumstances of our life through the paradigm of our own emotions or through the paradigm, through the lens of God's word? Super important. Uh, but remember the story there in Mark chapter 9. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they were just coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And as they roll into town, there's this kind of uh, the scene that's unfolding. And the, the religious leaders are arguing with the disciples. And Jesus kind of rolls up and he's like, well, what's going on? And, and what happened is a father had brought his sick son to the disciples. This boy was dealing with seizures and, uh, you know, being thrown into the fire and, and all this crazy stuff. He had a, a demonic spirit. And the disciples could not cast this demon out. And Jesus said, oh, you faithless generation. How long will I, I be with you? And he turned to the father who was just a broken man. Could you imagine? He just wanted his little boy to live. And Jesus asked him, how long has this been going on since he was a little kid? Got the background. And, and Jesus says, do you believe? If you believe then your boy can be healed. And you guys remember what that guy said? Lord, I believe. And I just imagine him just through tear-filled eyes. Now, that's my own conjecture. But I imagine him just weeping, Lord, I, I believe only help my unbelief. And what happened? That boy was healed. He was healed. This man felt as though his faith was wavering, and even that faith was enough to move the Lord. I like that. Because so often we make this thing about our faith, about my faith, and I'm going to have enough faith. But if it was your faith that did it, then you are the one who did it. Then you are the one who gets credit. Then you're the hero. But we're not the heroes. Jesus is the hero. And so remember, man, if you have faith as a mustard seed, it's enough to move mountains. Lord, I believe only help my own belief. Keep trusting the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep asking the Lord. And by the way, why was it that the disciples could not cast the demon out of that boy? You guys remember? Because they wanted to know. They asked Jesus said, after they came uh, away from the group. The disciples were like, Lord, what gives? Why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus said, some only come out by prayer and fasting. Then he, he said, uh, he's coming to the house, his disciples privately. Why could we not cast it out? And so he said unto them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Interesting. It wasn't a lack of faith, but it was really a, a lack of discipline that, that tripped the disciples up. So remember, man, faith is a mustard seed. It's a gift. You can't drum it up. It's about the Lord. 
Lord, we believe, only help our unbelief. Verse 6. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in the darkest, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up, and I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. And so the psalmist, man, he just feels like the, the plight that he is dealing with is the Lord's doing. That, that this pain and affliction and trial, he's saying, Lord, are you against me now? Is the Lord against us? The Lord is not against us. Uh, does paying for the crimes that you committed in your past uh, sound like the Lord is against you? Does dying on a Roman cross in your place so that you could escape the punishment of your past mistakes and enjoy life abundantly sound like God is against you? Does becoming sin so that you can become righteousness sound like God is? Not to me. It sounds like God is for us. And in fact, Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? Right? God is not against us. And it's hard for us to understand that when we are in the middle of a trial. Because sometimes it feels very much like the Lord is against us. You say, man, Lord, if you're not against me, I don't know what this is all about. Because it seems like if it can go wrong, man, it's going wrong. And that's what the psalmist is saying right here. Man, if it can go wrong, Lord, it's going wrong. Why are you against me? It's hard for us to understand in the midst of the trial. But know this. If God has allowed it in your life, and I don't care what it is. If God has allowed it in your life he can bring good from it. It's a promise. Rest in that. And so the, the psalmist here, Lord, I, I just feel like you're against me. I feel like I'm so alone. He's abandoned by his friends. Uh, you know, people, they have a tendency of letting other people down. I do it. You do it. We don't strive for it, but it happens. But be glad that the Lord will never, ever let us down. So the psalmist is going through it. Very Job-esque, isn't it? It really reminds me of the book of Job, this, this little section. Uh, the whole thing really has that, that feel to it. Verse 10 says, uh, Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. Uh, basically, the psalmist here uh, is saying, Lord, uh, how can I do any good for you if I'm dead? Lord, if I'm dead, who's going to praise you? Lord, if I'm dead, who's going to share the good news uh, of the gospel? Lord, you're going to really send me to the grave? If you kill me, I can't do anything for you anyways. I can't praise you. It's an interesting kind of stance that, that this psalmist is taking with the Lord. Lord, you can't kill me, and if you do, I won't be able to, to praise you. First of all, God doesn't need us to praise him, just so we're fully aware of that. We have nothing to offer the Lord. If we just decided, nope, we're not going to praise the Lord anymore, guess what? The rocks would cry out, and the mountains would shout, and we'd be all put to shame. So we better not stop praising the Lord. Secondly, when we take our last breath, we don't stop praising the Lord. Newsflash, in heaven, we're joining the angels. You think worship is good here? Boy, you wait till we get to heaven. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be so good as we worship the Lord in that angelic chorus. Uh, the Lord doesn't need us, and when we die, we don't stop praising him. 
uh, it's just an interesting thing that the psalmist uh, says. But it brings up a, another good point. When we're going through difficulty, a lot of times we're not seeing things clearly. We say strange things. Uh, verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord. And in the morning my prayer comes before you, Lord. Why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. He pretty much just kind of reiterates uh, all of his woes. And there's no real conclusion. It's just like this, this cliffhanger. Uh, we don't know how it ends for the psalmist. But we know how it ends for the psalmist, right? We don't know what the details of his earthly life looked like. If he was healed, if he was delivered, if he suffered until the day he died. But what we do know is that he is in heaven uh, in the presence of the Lord right now. As we sit here and study this psalm tonight, he doesn't have any doubts, guaranteed, He's like, Lord, you knew what you were doing the whole entire time. He was gloomy, the psalmist was. No real ray of hope in the whole entire psalm. But the Lord was still good because God is working all things together for good. For those who love him, for those who are called according to his purposes. Uh, in the world, man, Jesus told us we'll have trouble. There's not a single person who is immune. There's not a single person that can... Uh, avoid the trouble of this world. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, because I have overcome the world. And boy, we can be comforted in that. And we look at this psalm, and boy, the psalmist, all negative, all gloom, but we know that the Lord saw him through because he's good. So when you're stuck in that place, boy, remembers, remember God's goodness. And here's the good news. You don't have to be stuck in that place. We can choose, instead of being gloomy, to focus on God's glory. And that's what Psalm 89 is all about. See, Psalm 89 is the other side of the coin of Psalm 88. Where Psalm 88 was the Eeyore Psalm, Psalm 89 is the Tigger Psalm. It's, it's optimism even in the face of suffering. Uh, psalm 88 focuses on the gloom. Focus, uh, psalm 89 focuses on the glory of the Lord. And the major theme in Psalm 89 really is God's faithfulness in the covenant that he made to David. Remember the Davidic covenant there in 2 Samuel chapter 7? Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 in verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled, God's speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, that is the hope, that promise that God made David. David, I'm going to make your lineage go on forever. The Messiah is going to come through your uh, lineage. Your throne will go on forever. And again, ultimately, this looks past Solomon. We know this to be true. And looks to uh, the person, our Savior, uh, of Jesus. Now, historically, the timing of this was uh, during Solomon's day. Uh, this would have been the invasion of Shishak and the Egyptian army in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Um, Ezra, or Ethan, pardon me, the Ezra, Ezraite, uh, was he's the author of this psalm, and he's known for his wisdom. 
Uh, it says in 1 Kings that his wisdom surpassed everybody except for Solomon. So he was uh, alive in Solomon's day, and uh, there was nobody wiser than him except. So he was a wise dude. He was a, a, a smart guy. There is uh, another theory that this took place more along the lines during the time of the, the Babylonian um, exile. And that's what was taking place, which would mean that this was a different Ethan altogether. You can study that out and come to your own conclusion. But the bottom line is it was not a good day for Israel. The, the backdrop to this story is that things were so bad, the psalmist is saying, Lord, uh, let's see here. You made some pretty significant promises to David that his throne would continue on, that his family would continue on, but it's looking a lot like it's not going to. So in the face of it seeming like God's promises are going to uh, not come to fruition, boy, that whole dilemma, Lord, you made a, a promise and it doesn't look like you're going to keep it. The psalmist keeps his eye on the Lord, his eye on the faithfulness of God. And that's what the psalm is all about, God's faithfulness in keeping those promises. Verse 1 of Psalm 89. It says, The contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth will I make known to your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in, every, or in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab into pieces as one who was slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our king to the Holy One of Israel. So this psalm, it, it, it opens up with praise. Although things are difficult, although things are hard, uh, although it appears that there's this disparity between God's promises and the current uh, circumstances, the psalmist here chooses to praise instead of pout. The psalmist here chooses to, to focus on the glory instead of the gloom. How? How is it? That's good for us to know. When I'm down and out, how is it that I... I, I, I praise instead of pout. How is it that I focus on the glory instead of the gloom? Well, the psalmist here remembered God's faithfulness and praised him for it. He made that choice to think on what was good and right. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're to take captive those thoughts that say, Oh, you just give in, be bummed out, mull over the same uh, you know, bummer over and over again. 
Take those thoughts captive. And instead, Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever so, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these. And that's what the psalmist did. He says, I'm not going to meditate on the fact that we're being defeated and it's looked like the line of David's going to be cut off. No, instead, I'm going to meditate on the promises of God. That no matter what it looks like, I know, Lord, that you said you made a promise to David. I remember that you've defeated Egypt in the past so you can defeat Egypt in the future. I remember, Lord, that you are in control of everything. The psalmist goes through it. Even the sea obeys the Lord. And we saw Jesus demonstrate that. What, what an amazing thing that is. And so even though things are tough... Uh, Psalm 89 opens with praise, and I love the effect that praise has on our life. Uh, we've talked about this before. Freedom and victory are the byproducts of praise in our lives personally. Uh, the story of Paul and Silas there in Acts 16, you guys remember? They were chained to the wall, chained to the guards. And what did they do? Man, I will celebrate, sing unto the Lord. And what happened? Man, the, the ground quaked, the, the walls shook. The, the gates opened and the chains fell off. They experienced freedom in that moment. Aren't you feeling bogged down? Are, are you feeling captive by your circumstances? Man, praise the Lord and experience freedom. Also, victory. Man, there's great victory in praising the Lord. Remember the, the story in, what was it, First Chronicles chapter 20? Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, when the nation of Israel, they were outnumbered. The Moabites had gathered uh, armies around them. They were going to take Israel out. But the Lord said, no, I've got you guys. And what do they do? They sent the singers out before the army. So that's what, So they're marching out to battle. I will celebrate. Sing song. It's a, that's just a happy song. Sing unto the Lord. And what happened? Boy, they defeated the armies. There was great victory in their praise. Uh, sometimes, man, we're feeling defeated. But remember, there's great victory in praise. When you're feeling bummed out, when you're feeling in bondage, when you're feeling defeated, Man, crank up the worship music. I'm telling you, there's something to it. There's freedom and there's victory in praise. And uh, the psalmist here in this particular situation, uh, he really experiences that. And as he praised the Lord, he made known God's faithfulness to the next generation. Did you notice that? I will make uh, you known uh, to all generations. How important is it for us to make God known to all generations? And it, it's pretty important. What is the, the single most important thing that we can teach our children? And it's who Jesus is, God's plan of salvation for their life. And who's going to teach them? I'll tell you what, they're not going to learn it at school. I mean, they might if they go to a Christian school. There is that. You might say, hey, my kids are homeschooled. They're going to learn it at school. They might. They're going to learn it at church. They could. I hope they do. If they come here, boy, we got people who are working hard to teach them. But it's no substitute for us teaching them as their parents. Teach all generations. And kids, they're going to learn all sorts of crazy stuff in, in school and from their friends. But who's going to teach them about Jesus? And just a, a little reminder snuck in there. Hey, don't forget to pour truth into your kids' lives. Because I'll tell you what, there's a battle for the mind of your kids in this day and age. And the world wants to cram things in there like critical race theory and gender theory and all sorts of stuff. The world wants to tell your kids that they can identify as a toaster if they want to and be celebrated for it. But I'm telling you what, teach your kids about Jesus. It's what they need uh, to learn about. Uh, verse 19, Psalm 89. 
It says, then you spoke in a vision. Is this the right? Yes, it is. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted the chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have, yeah, I found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the sons of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and my name his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the river. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever. And his throne as the days of heaven. And so God is faithful to his covenant. God, this is all about God's promise to David, a throne forever, that he anointed him to be king of Israel, that he established him, that he strengthened him, that he gave him authority, that he beat back his enemies. The Lord was faithful and merciful to David. And, and, and really, when you consider David's life, the mistakes that the man made, but the Lord was still faithful. And what an encouragement to us that is, that the Lord's going to finish the good work that he started in you and me. There's nothing we can do that can mess that up uh, as long as we seek the Lord and, and, and repent and turn back towards him. And so uh, this whole promise, uh, this whole section really is just about how God is faithful uh, to keep his promise uh, to David. And that's important to remember. That was important for the psalmist to remember in this point because at that moment, again, he's looking around saying, boy, it really looks like this promise is not going to come to fruition. Boy, that's when we need to hold on to the promises of the Lord the most. Are you familiar with the promises that the Lord has made you in the Bible? Man, if not, learn them, study them, tattoo them on your eyelids that you could recite them and know them. Man, it's so important that we know uh, the promises of the Lord to us. He's going to see us through, not because of our goodness, but because of his own. Verse 28. Uh, verse 30, pardon me. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky, Selah. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbor. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of the sword. You have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. 
How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? And so the psalmist here now gets real about what's going on. Uh, this is a bad situation. And as we read the, 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 the beginning verses of this section really there in, in 30, it's, it's tied to sin. It's tied to transgression. That the Lord is, is faithful uh, in his chastisement. The Lord is faithful to bring uh, discipline into my life and yours. And, you know, Hebrews has a lot to say about this. Uh, you know, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, here's the thing. This whole situation, the psalmist boils down, it's known. This is because we have walked in disobedience. This is, this is the Lord who is bringing this about in our lives. Because the Lord cares more about our future security than he does our present comfort. But look at verses 32, is it 32 and 30. Then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. See, here's the thing. Even when we're going through seasons of difficulty... The Lord says, I'm not going to remove my loving kindness from you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm just doing a work in your life. I'm working out the things that ought not be there. Man, if you're going through a season of chastisement, of correction, and rejoice. It's not fun now. Nobody likes a whooping in the moment. But be glad about the fruit that it produces. And then this last uh, section, uh, verse 49. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which you have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. He just goes on, man, Lord, where's your loving kindness? Where's, where's your promises? What's going on? But he doesn't leave it there. Verse 52, he closes with this. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. The problem was not God's faithfulness. It wasn't God's promise. His promises are still in play. Uh, the issue with the, the psalmist was perspective. See, his perspective, it, it was fixed on uh, his paradigm, what he could see, that, that last part. And, uh, man, we are not to have an earthly perspective, but a heavenly perspective. Uh, that's how he was able to praise the Lord, by keeping his eyes on the prize, by keeping his, his eyes on the faithfulness of the Lord. Even when things were crazy, he was able to bless the Lord, even now. Although there is great trouble, although God's promises and, and uh, you know, the circumstances of the psalmist's life are at odds, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He understands, Lord, your thoughts aren't my thoughts, your ways aren't my ways, uh, they're higher than mine as far as the heavens are from the earth. And I'm just going to trust you. I don't understand, but Lord, I know you're good. I know you're God. I know you're in control. I know you're going to see me through. Lord, I know you're going to work it out because you're faithful. And so the psalmist here chooses to focus on the glory instead of the gloom. He chooses to praise instead of pout. Because he knew, Lord, if I could see things from your perspective, 
man, I wouldn't change a thing. And so when we're in that situation, and we will be, and there's lots of opportunity in our lives for us to put these truths to the test. Are we going to get stuck in the Eeyore Psalm, or are we going to walk out the Tigger Psalm? Uh, you know, it's difficult sometimes in life, but we can choose to focus on all the negative, or we can choose to praise the Lord through it. It's not going to change anything except for how you feel in the midst of it. The Lord's still going to see you through either way, and for that, we can be grateful. If you get stuck in a funk and you just can't get out, hey, praise the Lord, he's going to see you through. But you don't have to stay there. Choose to praise the Lord instead of pout. Choose to glory in the Lord instead of get stuck in the gloom. Man, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. So Lord, we believe. Just help our unbelief. And we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for that truth, Lord that you're going to see us through. Thank you that we can be encouraged tonight as we study through your word, that we can remember your faithfulness. And even as you made David promises, Lord, you made us promises too, that you're going to finish the good work that you started in us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that what the enemy means for evil, you mean for good. Lord, you promised us that you're working all things together for good for those who love you, for those who are called according to your purposes. And we trust you, Lord, we believe, we choose to praise you tonight, even in the midst, some of us, of great difficulties, because you're good, because you're worthy of our praise, and because you're faithful. We love you, Lord. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.